Welcome everyone to Couch Potato Diary. Happy Wednesday. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today. As always, you can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, and you can email this show, CouchPotatoDiary at Yahoo.com. Going to look at last night's Flames Bruins game on this show today, as well the Clash of the Titans with the Oilers taking on the Golden Knights. Going to continue our look at the trade deadline with a few teams to watch now that we are creeping up towards that and uh, going to look at the key matchups for this upcoming Super Bowl. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you like this video and subscribe to the channel. If you're listening in podcast form, make sure you subscribe as well um, and leave a review. That stuff helps me out greatly. All right, uh, let's get right into it. Um, did a, a live show on Twitch after the Flames-Bruins uh, game last night. So that, that one was a bit more... Um, Storyline driven. Let's do the uh, the blow by blow and a thing I like to call diary entries. All right, so here's how diary entries work. I take notes on every game um, that I watch, uh, which is comical because my printing is atrocious, but. I do it anyway. Um, and so I figured for diary entries, the show's called Couch Potato Diary. So, you know, um, I, I thought like, just go through, pick out, like we're not going to get into every note in, in here, but pick out the um, p- pick out the big ones and, and just kind of break the game down in a bit more of a, a blow-by-blow fashion. So um, obviously a lot of the talk coming in is about the new guys, Kuzmenko, um, going in with Huberto and Sharon Govich, Pelche making his debut, as is Rooney. Um, so the lines to start, Manjapan, Backlund Coleman stays the same. Uh, Zari, Kadri, and Pospisil started the same. Um, and then it was Huberto, Sharangovich, and Kuzmenko with Pelche, Rooney, and Dewar on your fourth line. Also, Pahal, the new defenseman um, out of Estevan, is um, making his Flames debut with Oliver Shillington. Um, this was this was a weird game. Well, well let's just let's let, let's let's just get into this one. I thought Boston did a good job early of creating a lot of their offense in kind of high-low situations. They got a couple of good looks from the point early. Grizzly got a chance. McAvoy got an opportunity. Both of them end up being stopped. Um, but it, it felt like early on that was kind of how they were looking to draw drive their offense is just getting a, a lot of stuff from down low and then work it back up top. Um, I, I don't think that continued a whole lot, but Boston just didn't do a whole lot in this game. Real nice pass from Kuzmenko to Huberto in the slot to set up an opportunity um, early on. Um, The chance gets stopped, but it was a really, really nice play. It it was a a nice, easy zone entry that they had, and that was something that Calgary did well in this game was the zone entries. But then it was just a rocket pass right in the middle for Huberto, and that creates an opportunity. And we'll, we'll get to it a little bit more in this game. That was not a part of Kuzmenko's bag that I was necessarily expecting. I didn't realize that he was as good as he was in the passing department. So that was a bit of a, oh, okay then. Um, and just uh, a thing that you, you would like to, or a thing that you liked to see from the, the Flames in that sense. But yeah, Kuzmenko, he had another real good pass here to, to Rasmus Anderson as well, creating an opportunity. The Kadri line kind of keeps the pressure up and draws a penalty. A, a rough shift for Carlo. He turns the puck over at the blue line and then also takes a penalty. Um, and on that power play, um, which by the way, the power play was Kadri, 
Sharon Govich, Kuzmenko, Huberto, and Hannafin. Um, Sharon Govich, a bad pass, coiled the steal, gets in, and his chance gets broken up. Um, Hannafin, real good back check, kind of puts a bit more pressure on Coyle so he doesn't get a full dingle-dangle backhand or anything like that. He kind of just had to go in and, and shoot it. Calgary counters, back the other way, and Kuzmenko, with a damn laser, goes into the back of the net, giving the Flames a one nothing lead. And for Calgary, you couldn't ask for a better start. Uh, nine goals on the year now for Kuzmenko. The shot is legitimate. He is a power play weapon. This isn't your traditional power play setup, but it's still, it's on a zone entry, which this team's been dog shit at all season. So this is, this is what you wanted to see with Kuzmenko. Um, I thought, and immediately after this, Pavel Zaka makes a play in the neutral zone. He steps up on Coleman, gets the steal, immediately bursts up the middle and works a give and go, um... Do I have it here? It was JVR. Works a give and go with JVR and gets a real good chance. I have been saying for like all season that Boston is a little fraudulent because when it gets down to playoff time, I just don't think their centers are good enough. And then Zaka goes out and is their best player in this game. He was excellent. I still don't think their centers are good enough. I still think they need at least one more. But Zaka... Zaka was really, really good in this game. I thought he was the Bruins' best player by a mile. And that was just, it was such a good play. It was a read on Coleman on the wall. Like, he has nowhere to go. And he just cuts it off, gets the steal, and then just a nice, smart one and a great net drive creates an opportunity. It was a good read. It was good execution. And just a really talented play all over the place by, um, by Zaka. This was a sloppy game. Um, Markstrom misses two behind the net. The Bruins' passes were all over the place. Boston just was not sharp in this one. And I don't think that the Flames really were uh, all that sharp as well. Um, Calgary gets a, an opportunity. Huberto looking pass again. Um, that was a little bit frustrating. It, is it seemed like Huberto was in kind of pass first most in, and we'll, we'll get to why it's frustrating in a little bit. Um, but yeah, he, he does make a good feat to uh, Kuzmenko. Gets a, a decent chance at it, but my, my guy needs to shoot the puck more in this one. Um, and then Kadri makes a, a real nice chip to Connor Zari, who walks in and scores. Phenomenal hands in tight from Connor Zari, pulls the wait, 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 in a round and scores. Um, picture perfect. Fantastic. And Kadri just makes, he has such great touch where it's just like, just a soft little pass in behind and it puts guys in the perfect position every time. He is so good at that. Zari now has 11. He's fifth in rookie goals, I believe. Um, it's from Kadri. And at that point it was like, okay, they, they kind of are getting what they deserve. Calgary was outplaying Boston in this first period. Um, and I think a, a real good way that they were doing that, they had an excellent forecheck going all game. And this is where I thought the fourth line shined with Pelche, Rooney, um, and Dewar to a certain extent as well. They were so aggressive and so relentless on the forecheck. It was causing Boston some real issues turning the puck over and just allowing, it, it was slowing up the breakout and it was causing some turnovers, creating more second chance opportunities. Um, not in the traditional sense, but you know what I mean? Um, creating those opportunities for, for Calgary there. And also I thought their counterattack was real good. Anytime there was a turnover, it was just straight up ice. Um, th this was the, the fastest Calgary has looked in a bit. Now I, I, I should caveat all of this. This was not a good Bruins game. And while I do think Boston is a little bit overrated, clap, 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 clap. Um, I do think that this is definitely a team first game off the all-star break. It's like, it's different for Calgary. First game off of the all-star break, Lindholm's gone. And 
now you have to get up to face the, one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. That's going to mo- motivate you. For Boston, business as usual. Oh, another all-star break. Okay, who, who are we playing? The 11th team in the West? Fine. So, I do think there was a bit of a motivational difference on these sides. But Calgary still looked like a, a very fast team. And they played... The thing that gives you the, the most confidence, I think, from a Calgary standpoint, is they played the game that you want them to play. They played the style that you want them to play. And that was real encouraging from a Calgary standpoint in this particular contest. Um, then, as things are going in Calgary's way, DeBrusque fans on a chance. A good read by McAvoy comes in, gets a backhand chance off of it. Marchand takes a couple of digs. And out of fucking nowhere, Pospisil comes in and just decks Marchand. And Pospisil gets five in a game. Which seems a little steep, I will admit. It also seemed a little bit of an over-exaggeration from Pospisil, just flying in with a punch to the face of Brad Marchand. And Pospisil is... I, I, I made on a, another Twitch stream, I made the comparison of Pospisil to kind of Matthew Kachuk. Obviously, not talent-wise. No, 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 no. But in terms of, like, this player is effective because he pushes up against that line all the time, which does sometimes mean he breaks through that line, and that is what happened here. But you have a game where you are up 2-0 on the Eastern Conference-leading Boston Bruins. Things are going your way. You have all the momentum, and then you take what ends up being a five-minute penalty. You take yourself out of the game in the first period, and you give the Bruins a chance to get some momentum back in this game. Can't do that. Can't do that. So, by all means, be wild and crazy and crash into shit. At the same time, don't do it at times where it is going to significantly hurt your team. And there is absolutely an alternate universe where Boston scores three on that power play and it's just over. But Calgary's penalty kill looked really strong um, coming out of all of this. Boston's power play, fifth in the NHL. But again, it just, it looked off. Pasternak misses a pass, like, doesn't quite get a pass to settle down. Has to play it off of the wall. Sends it back to McAvoy, slides through. Boston comes back, gets the zone entry. Pass to Pasternak, bobbled a little bit. Pass down behind the goal. Misses the guy back behind the net. They corral it. But th- there's just no crispness. Everything is like, all right, I'll settle it down, and now I'll go. Instead of zip, 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 it's zip. Zip. And that's that's not going to work against a, a really good, really aggressive Flames penalty kill. So they take a 2-0 lead into the intermission. Um, second period, uh, Pasternak comes out, shows some really good hands, gets a chance. Um, but Calgary does end up killing it off. And Rooney gets a steal in the neutral zone, gets a chance. More Boston sloppiness in this game. It just, it wasn't sharp all game on the, the Boston Bruins side of things. Uh, Pahal did a real good job. Hannafin came in on a pinch and missed it. Pahal races back and it didn't even lead to any kind of an opportunity for Boston. He just went back and, and cut it off. Good skating by him. I thought he was fine. Like he didn't stand out in any ways, um, negatively anyway. And I, I thought like the, the skating ability was a positive and he was kind of where he should have been all night. So I, I thought a, a nice positive for the former PA Raider captain. Um, Manjapani gets a chance on the rush and he misses the net. And this is something that's starting to creep back in the Flames game a little bit. The, the, the aim is a little off with this team. We saw it a lot last year and we're seeing it again this year where the, the range finder is just a little all over the place for this team. Um, Manjapani had one, Anderson had another where they had some chances and just ended up missing the net. 
Um, but Calgary was really in control in the second period. Um, they, they don't end up scoring in this period, but you, you get a couple of really good opportunities. Um, the fourth line had some very good pressure. I love Pelche's game. I, I, he had a chance off of a, a turnover on a, a four check. It was just, it was a lot of pressure from, um, a, a lot of pressure from, from Calgary in this period. Zaka made another nice play, stripping Zari of the puck and, and creating an opportunity for Boston in that way. But overall, this was a period, again, controlled by Calgary. And now you're starting to look at it like, look, Calgary's been the better team. That's about as bad as you're going to see Boston play. So need to bury a few of these chances. That's why I noticed them missing the net with Manjapani and with uh, with Rasmus Anderson. Uh, so third period comes around. Calgary takes a penalty. And when you know it, they take another penalty. So it's a five on three. On that five on three, Zaka gets a chance on a one-timer and he scores. So he, he had been the best Bruin all game and a real dangerous shot. It deflects in off of a Hannafin stick. And um, at that point, it's like, Game on. It's a five on three. They just scored. They still have the power play and have a chance to take the lead here. And so Boston has the power play again. Um, and then there's another penalty that ends up happening on this play. Uh, they got called for too many men. That's what it was. It was a too many men penalty against Boston. So it's four on four, but the momentum is still starting to shift in Boston's favor. And then this might be my favorite shift of the year for the Flames. It's Four on four, momentum is shifting in the way of the defending President's Trophy winners and a team that might win it again this year. And Hubro and Kadri come out with an all-effort shift. It's battled for along the wall. Kadri and, and Hubro are both involved in it. Um, Huberto helps it along uh, back toward the blue line. Kadri is there, gets it out in front. Huberto wins another battle. And then it's just him and Swayman in front. And he goes roof daddy and makes it three to one. Perfect shot, use it more because it's phenomenal. But this is the type of leading by example this team needs. And I will state for the record, the type of lead by example this team has not had for a while. Certainly during this little era of Flames hockey where it's been, hey, like, hey guys, you know what I don't feel like doing today? Fucking losing. So let's go out and take this game, shall we? And that's exactly what their two highest paid players did. Went out and took it from Boston. So great to see that. Loved it. Loved every bit of that shift. That makes it three to one. Uh, Sharon Govich gets a steal uh, on the rush and a chance uh, that is stopped. And then Calgary gets a power play. Uh, Sharon Govich drew a penalty on that. Um, Calgary gets a power play. Hannafin is rushing in. Forbort just has a bit of a speed wobble going back. That gives Hannafin the step that he needs. He drives in, throws a backhander on Swayman, and it trickles through him. Bad goal. Real bad goal. And it goes in, and Calgary ends up winning this one. 4-1 the final. So that, those are just the, the diary notes I took for Flames against Bruins. Um, Oilers against Vegas. This one's going to be a, a bit more condensed. This one never really seemed to find a gear. They, they talked on the broadcast a lot about how this was playoff-style hockey. This was playoff-style hockey. Um, Edmonton, well, we'll get into it as it goes along, but there just there wasn't there wasn't a ton in this game, all right? Um, the, the tension built this game up more than the actual play on the ice did. Um, but yes, th this was th this was a fun game. Um, you know, Edmonton going into this one, having won 16 in a row. Vegas, 
knocked Edmonton out of the playoffs last year, went on to win the big shiny thing at the end. So uh, hooray for them. So th- there's quite a bit going on in this one. Early on, Holloway gets called for a high stick. Edmonton's penalty kill. Some of the stats for Edmonton right now is absurd. Edmonton's 38 for 39 on the penalty kill. 38 for their last 39. And I think it was 16 in a row they had killed off going into this one. Vegas's power play had struggled at one for 11. Um, CC blocks a shot. Ryan Nugent Hopkins cleared. Edmonton had a few chances to clear and just couldn't. And then finally, uh, Nugent Hopkins sent like his hardest shot of the season down the ice and cleared it out. Um, then McDavid gets a steal. It's a real bad pass from Barbashev, or a bad play, sorry, from Barbashev. McDavid gets a steal, and it's a 2-on-0, Dreisaitl and McDavid. Like, that is NHL hit stuff. The puck may as well have been on fire between the two, Dreisaitl and McDavid. McDavid to the back of the net. His uh, first shorthanded goal of the season, and Edmonton takes a 1-0 lead. Um, And then you, you start to see some of the sloppiness in this game. That there was just, it was... It was very much the first game back from a break for both of these teams. Passes missed, uh, all all of those sorts of things. So there wasn't a a whole lot of real momentum in this game. And it was kind of tough to focus on at times, uh, especially for how my brain operates. But uh, Bouchard gets a real good one-timer chance. That one ends up missing. Um, And then there's good pressure. Petrangelo's shot is stopped. Um, Roy gets the rebound and he snipes it home. All thanks to a, a real good Marcia So drive. Um, coming into the zone makes a nice dangle around a defenseman. That starts kind of the pressure. Uh, but Waugh gets a, a chance in front and makes no mistake. He's got 10. The, his line has like 33 points in the last seven games. Like just video game stuff. Uh, but that ends up tying at 1-1 um, going into the second period. And it, this is one, I talked about it on my Twitch stream earlier today. This felt like a game that Edmonton kind of had control of. Which was... A little shocking, to say the least. Um, but th- this was a game that Edmonton really controlled. Like, they, they get a power play. RNH gets a good look um, opportunity. That one ends up getting stopped. Um, Nurse makes a strong play, breaking up a, a Colasar chance. That leads to a Yanmark chance on their own. Uh, another two-on-one. Martinez makes a nice play to break it up. But it's just, it's constant Edmonton pressure. But the game is still tied going into the third period. Um... Dreisaitl chance absolutely robbed. Aiden Hill made a few a few saves that he made look way easier than they actually are. He was in the perfect spot basically all night. He was so great in this game. And the reason why uh, Vegas ends up winning this game. Like, no question about it. He was the reason Vegas ends up going on to, to take this one. Um, spoiler alert. Because um, he just, there was a couple of saves where it was just like, oh my god word. What a stop. And then, um, Marcheseau centers, Stevenson one-timer scores. Marcheseau with some pretty good work down low. Uh, he stole it from CeCe, who then came in front and screened his goalie, and it ends up going in. Edmonton needs... Edmonton still has needs, right? Like, they... they 16 in a row. Um, they had an eight-game winning streak in there. They were 24-3 and in their last 27 games. So, obviously, things are going well. It's too much Cody Cece. It is far too much Cody Cece. I thought Nurse had a good game. Um, Ekholm looked really good in this one. So this isn't your typical, like, oh, Edmonton needs a defenseman. But Edmonton needs a defenseman. He was. I thought Cece was abysmal in this game. And, and specifically on this one, where he just, he kind of, he tried to get everyone and in that sense didn't have anyone. And it ended up costing them. Uh, 2-1, it ends up being. Fogel gets a really good look. And again, Hill, there to make the stop. Um, McDavid. Chance on the rush. Real good look. 
Hill makes the stop. Edmonton was in, basically felt like in complete control for two periods of this game and just couldn't beat this dude. Drysaddle one timer on the three and two stopped. Uh, another good uh, McDavid rush chance stopped. Aiden Hill was all around it, and then finally on the empty netter, Carlson ends up putting it in. And for the first time in 49 days, the Oilers end up losing. 3-1 is the final. I will say, just a, a quick note, um, I think the, the Edmonton guys do a fine job. We're spoiled in Calgary with Rick Ball and Kelly Rudy. They are so good. The Edmonton guys do a fine job. I thought it was funny that it was all game. They were talking about, it's a playoff-type atmosphere. It feels like a playoff game in here. And then Vegas scores to, to close it out. And Vegas is celebrating like they just won an overtime game in the playoffs. It's like, well, you can't. Can't have it both ways, my dude. You can't, you can't on one hand, say, feels like a playoff game. And then get pissed at the team for celebrating like it was a playoff game. So that was just a note. Um, but yeah, Vegas won this game because Aiden Hill was fantastic. And... It, it honestly, in that moment, made me feel good that Canada may have a chance at the Olympics and in the Four Nations Cup because of what Aiden Hill can do. So, uh, those are just some of the notes that I took on the games that I watched uh, last night, and I watched that Oilers one this morning. So, uh, those are your diary entries for today. Let's keep it rolling with our Super Bowl talk. the nicest intro that stock images and music can provide. Uh, this is uh, Super Bowl 58, looking at the key matchups on both sides of the ball for this upcoming Super Bowl. I think the key matchup when San Francisco has the football is going to be the Kansas City run game against Christian McCaffrey. If McCaffrey is going off in this game, Kansas City doesn't have a hope. And we said going into last week, or in, into the AFC Championship game, the Kansas City defense has been very good all season long and at times, quite frankly, has carried this team to this spot. The run defense has been a bit of an issue. And so that's why we thought they were vulnerable against the Baltimore team that just inexplicably didn't run the football. Kyle Shanahan's not going to make that mistake. He loves every opportunity he can get to put that ball right into Christian McCaffrey's hands and let him run it down your throat. And... If they do that and they are successful, they're just going to keep doing it. And I think Debo Samuel will have some success running the ball here as well. Kansas City needs to figure out a way to make Brock Purdy beat them. And look, this isn't a shot of Brock Purdy because uh, Green Bay did the same thing. And it looked like they were going to be successful until they weren't. And Detroit did the same thing and it looked like it was going to be successful until it wasn't. And that is... But that that is still the way you beat them. Is... You are going to make this kid who was drafted with the last pick a couple of drafts ago come out and be the hero of this game. That is, that is how you attack this San Francisco team. And so I'm going to be very interested in if Christian McCaffrey is busting off six, seven, eight yard runs at a time, then I don't think Kansas City has much of a shot in this game. But if they're able to hold him to two or three yards at a time and force Brock Purdy to step up in ways that he has in this playoff, but force him to do that again it gives Kansas City a much better opportunity in this game to kind of run away and hide and, and pick up a victory. We talked about this yesterday, but the key matchup in this one is going to be the San Francisco linebackers against Travis Kelsey. Um, he is so clearly their best option in terms of uh, what Kansas City can produce offensively. Like, I, it's been cute that MVS has come up with a couple of big plays and we called him an X-Factor yesterday. You can't rely on that. 
Rasheed Rice has had a couple of good games, and I feel like you can rely on him, but is he winning you the Super Bowl? Don't think so. Travis Kelsey is so clearly the best option here. And Baltimore, again, their defense kind of felt tailor-made with Hamilton being one of the better players at his position in the league, and they still couldn't shut him down. If San Francisco is able to limit him, and now you are forcing Hardman, MVS, Rice, McKinnon, Pacheco to step up and make the big-time plays... It just gives you a better shot of winning this football game. I have said it all week. I have loved going over these teams' games and analyzing it all. And we're going to have our official picks coming up on Friday's show. Um, tomorrow, I think we're taking the day off of the, the football stuff. Um, it's going to be a, a lot of basketball talk on uh, for tomorrow with the, the trade deadline. Um, but for... For Friday, going to be the full stat breakdown. And then Saturday, we're going to do a special props uh, episode. We did this last year. We called it the the Booper Soul. Um, it's uh, myself and my wife going over some of the goofier prop bets. So we'll, we'll do the, the more football-y ones on Friday and the, the goofier ones coming up on Saturday. And then I, I'm going to a buddy's place to watch the big game on Sunday. Um, but there will be some kind of Super Bowl reaction at some point here. Um, that's what's coming up on, um, on the network here over the next couple of days. All right. We are just hours away from the NBA trade deadline. Let's get into some basketball talk. It's so close. It's right here. The NBA trade deadline is upon us as we are just hours away. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to be live on the Fresh Take Network breaking down um, all of the trades kind of as they happen leading up to the deadline uh, and probably a little bit of talk after it. We're, we're penciled in for an hour, but Josh and I, uh, we never go an hour. So we'll, we'll see how it all goes. But um, that, that's uh, that. And then I'll just use that as the, the podcast for tomorrow. Uh, they're usually pretty good about letting me have the audio and putting it up on our feed. So that's probably what's going to end up being the pod for tomorrow. So those of you who just take it in on uh, YouTube, make sure you subscribe in podcast form because I, I don't think I'll be getting the video for that. Uh, for tomorrow. So that is that. Um, but today, it's just the teams that I'm watching going into the deadline. Uh, we've done teams that have the most pressure, teams that can make this deadline interesting. Now it's just the teams that for whatever reason, I'm like, I have an eye on you. Uh, coming in at number five, it's the Detroit Pistons. On the one hand, trade Bogdanovich. For sure, trade Bogdanovich. On the other hand, you kind of don't want to be the worst team in NBA history. So... I can fully understand why Detroit isn't in full, let's just trade everything mode, because you don't want to end up in the history books as being so bad. But I do think they have a couple of interesting pieces, Bogdanovich being the key one, that can help out some teams going forward. So I, I think this is really, really um, an interesting team, and just a team that I have an eye on to see how they manage this coming up to the deadline. At four, it's the Orlando Magic. You have, Palo has taken a step. Franz Wagner is quite good. Like, this is a young core now in Orlando that it feels like you could maybe build around a little bit. Like, they, they, they've, they, they, they are out of the tanking process. Now they're trying to get better. Do they make a get better move this year? Or is it just, let's just let these kids grow into it and let's see if we can do something at the, um, in free agency next year when we have uh, maybe a little bit more cap space and a little bit of stuff to, to play with. But I'll be interested to see because they're they're in a play-in spot right now. Um, the East feels a little bit more wide open with, with Philadelphia going down, um, with Joel Embiid going down for Philadelphia, sorry. So oh, I think Orlando's a really talented team, but I, I do think that they need some help. We'll see if they do it, go out and get it in the next little bit. At three, it's my team. It's the Toronto Raptors. They've already made their big splashes with Ananobi and Siakam. 
And I think done pretty well with, with quickly with RJ and with the, uh, the picks and whatnot coming back. Um, we'll see if Bruce Brown gets moved. Um, I'm recording this during the Hornets game. Um, I'm going to go back and watch it later, but, um, Bruce Brown is playing at last check. So we'll, we'll see if he ends up getting moved, but they have a lot of depth pieces and a lot of secondary pieces that I think could really help some championship teams. And so, um, Bruce Brown, Schroeder, Gary Trent Jr., um, even Pirtle, I think would all be available for me. And if the Raptors can go out and, and help a couple of depth teams, I think that makes this a, a really interesting trade deadline. At two, it's the Bulls. Uh, they're not going to be able to make the Zach Levine move as he goes down with an injury and he's undergoing season-ending surgery. What do they do with DeMar DeRozan? They just feel totally content being ninth, and that's incredibly frustrating. But they also have some pieces that could tilt things in both conferences with DeMar. DeMar is a perfect fit for what the Lakers need right now. Just a little bit of half-court scoring. Um, and if you go out there with AD, LeBron, and and DeMar DeRozan, it just makes things so much so much better for this team that has struggled in the half-court for a year and a half now. Um, Caruso, defensively, makes all the sense in the world for, like, every team. He just fits everywhere. So the, the Chicago Bulls have a couple of pieces that could really tilt things in the East and in the West this year. And my number one team is the Philadelphia 76ers. They are... Right now, I think penciled in as a top three team anyway. Joel Embiid, they're not writing him off for the season. They accumulated some pieces with the express interest of flipping them here at the deadline to try to go out and get another piece. Now, without Joel Embiid, do you do that? Do you just like, ah, you know what? This isn't our year. Maybe let's get a couple of things that are going to help us next year and go that way. I'm just interested in what the Philadelphia 76ers do here in the next, uh, what is that? Uh, 18 hours or so. Um, so yeah, that's just, that's kind of what I'm thinking. But anyway, those are the, the teams that I'm most interested in going into the deadline. That's going to do it for the show. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. Like I said, I'm going to be on the Fresh Take Network live during the trade deadline tomorrow, talking some oops so we're gonna be uh breaking all of that down coming up um that's tomorrow fresh take network follow me on social media twitter instagram and tiktok i'm at primetime Klein. we're gonna be uh, i'll tweet out all the links and everything like that and then i'll get the audio and just put that up as tomorrow's podcast friday's the big one as we preview super bowl 58 and i, I teased it last week i promise we'll do it this week the um updated wrestlemania card for WrestleMania 40. So that's going to do it. Thank you guys so much. I'll talk to you guys later. I'm out.